0: In the Southern Baptist Convention, the family of churches that that our church uh, is a part of, nearly 900 churches close every year or uh, are lost. Now, the SBC plants uh, dozens and dozens of churches every year, and so it's not as if we're losing ground. We're staying similar and and slightly gaining ground each year. Um, But think about that number. Just in our own family of churches, nearly 900 churches are lost why are so many churches dying? Why is there such decline beyond that? Many churches are filled with fighting and division. Other churches uh, have have punted biblical truth, and they're just flowing the way that the world is urging them to go. What does it take to, to be a healthy church? That's what we're going to think about this morning as we look at Colossians 3 verses 15 through 17. Now, remember the apostle Paul wrote the book of Colossians to the church at Colossae to guide this church in remaining faithful. It was a vibrant church, but the problem the church faced was that there were false teachers who were trying to lead them away from the truth of God. And so Paul wrote this letter to try to prepare them to withstand that and to remain faithful in the midst of that. As you look at Colossians 3, 15 through 17, we will see that God calls us to be a church that remains true to Christ. He calls us to be a church that remains true to Christ. And he gives four priorities for a church that remains true to Christ. First, Paul urges believers, prioritize the peace of Christ. Prioritize the peace of Christ. Now, if you look in verse 15, Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, many believers have understood this verse to suggest that, that this is a verse about guidance. Like if I'm gonna make decisions, I wanna make sure that I make a decision and that I have Christ's peace in my heart. But if you look at this verse in context, that's probably not the accurate way to understand this verse. If you look at this verse in context you're going to see that Paul is talking more broadly, not just about what's happening in our hearts, but what's happening in the congregation, in the church. In verse 15, the "you," the "you," and "your" that you see there are plural. So let's let's read this verse uh, as if we were speaking Texan together. And and in the Greek, the, again, these verses are plural. The Greek is the language that the New Testament was originally written in. Unfortunately, in English. There's not a plural for you. It's the same uh, either way. So let's read this in Texan, Colossians three fifteen, And let the peace of Christ, to which y'all were also called in one body, rule y'all's hearts. So, so what you see is this is a verse written to the church. Now, if you're not with me so far, look at what Paul says in the middle of the verse. Paul says that the church at Colossae was called to be one body. So Paul is speaking of the unity of the church. If you look in John 13, verses 34 and 35, you'll see that Jesus spoke about how when the church is unified and when the church loves one another, it becomes a powerful testimony of who Jesus is to the watching world. In other words, our relationships within the church, Paul is saying, ought to be characterized by peace. The peace of Christ should rule our hearts as a church family. Now, it's important to get the big picture. Remember at the beginning what we said Paul was writing about. Paul was writing primarily in this letter to encourage the church to be faithful and to be able to to face false teachers. So here, what we recognize is that the church being unified, that the church's solidarity is critical if the church would be able to withstand the onslaught of false teaching that it would inevitably face. So if the church would remain faithful theologically, The church must remain committed to Christ together. There must be a solidarity that marks the church family. Now, a local church, as we think about the New Testament, is meant to be a diverse group of people who are united around Christ. Sociological differences, ethnic and racial differences, cultural differences, all of these differences that separate people out in the world are not supposed to separate us in the body of Christ. You see, the gospel is supposed to be so powerful in our lives that all of the differences that separate the people out there, they disappear. They evaporate because we have what matters most in common, and that is that we know the Lord Jesus and we love him. And if I know the Lord Jesus and you know the Lord Jesus, then we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That is supposed to to be a primary mark of the church, the unity of the church. Now, as a parent, one of the greatest times is to be at home just taking care of something, to realize that 30 or 40 minutes has gone by, and I haven't heard any kids screaming, no yelling, no crying, no biting, no throwing, none of that. When that happens, I start looking around, is everything okay? I'm I'm amazed. Everything seems to be going well. For this short period of time, my children have had relationships that have been marked by peace. What a joy. What often happens between brothers and sisters, you know this as something closer to war than peace. One kid takes the car that the other wanted. One kid hits another child. What you can be sure of is that when children are fighting, it goes back to selfishness. And one way or another, maybe brother didn't get what he wanted, so he punches sister or vice versa. Crazy thing is that much of the quarreling that occurs in churches happens the very same way. When one person doesn't get what he wants, he takes a punch. Well, thankfully, usually the punch isn't physical, but he starts fighting nonetheless, starts talking, kind of trying to get a coalition together, trying to get a a group together, trying to form alliances so he can push his way through. Yes, as adults, we're more sophisticated than children in our disputes, but our conflict is often driven along the very same way. We're driven by our own selfishness. We want our way. We want our way. But Christ says this kind of me-driven attitude should not characterize the people of God. Instead, the church should be marked by a desire for Christ's peace to rule. A church should be marked by members who are pursuing harmony, in their relationships, who are pursuing unity in the church family. Of course, a church can't ignore false teaching. Paul would say that if you, if you read the rest of this letter, that's clear. If, if false teachings going on in the church, that has to be addressed. If there's blatant immorality among the members of the church, that's something that scripture calls us to address. We see that in 1 Corinthians 5 and in Matthew 18. And also, Paul isn't suggesting that as a church family, we'll never have problems with each other. We're all sinners. And because we're all sinners, inevitably there will be problems. And Jesus himself gave a way to handle those problems. In Matthew 18 verses 15 through 20, Jesus said that when you have a problem, you go directly to the person and you say to them, hey, I'm troubled about this. And he says, hopefully your, your brother, your sister will be won over by, by what you have to say. But, but if he's not, then Jesus says you can take another believer with you or two and go and, and confront The person that that you have a dispute with. And then if that doesn't work, ultimately the issue can be brought before the church and the church can call a person to repentance. And if there's still not repentance, a church may actually unfellowship a person. So this passage isn't suggesting that disputes don't happen, that there isn't trouble sometimes, but the peace of Christ should rule in a church family. We have to work through the challenges that we face, of course. But overall, a church should be governed by a certain unity, a certain commitment to harmony. How do we live this idea out? Every person who's a part of a church must seek the unity of the church. You must seek the unity of the church. How can, how can you help this church pursue the peace of Christ? Well, one of the ways is not to talk bad about other people, not to gossip about other people. Because of our, our sinfulness, we have a tendency to love to to spread stuff like that. We, we love to, oh, have, have you heard? Sometimes we couch it in more spiritual terms. I wanted you to know so you could be praying. This is what happened. And this happened too. But friends, it ought not be so among the people of God. Well, we don't want to be spreading stuff. We don't want to be trying to, to, to stir stuff up. Yes, that's the way the world lives. It shouldn't be the way that we live. Yeah, genuine disputes need to be dealt with. Genuine issues need to be confronted. A church that ignores genuine issues will be an unhealthy church, and a disobedient church. But each one of us has a responsibility to pursue the unity of the church. One of the key ways that we pursue the unity of the church is by not being selfish. So much of the conflict that happens in churches is not about faithfulness to the word of God. It's about pure selfishness. I want this. I like that. This is the way I want it. Really? Is that how we ought to live among the people of God? Clearly, no. So much of the disharmony that occurs in churches is all about me. It's all about what I want. So, Christ says that a church should be focused and serious about seeking unity, about being unified. So how would the Colossian church remain true to Christ? Well, first, the Colossian church would remain true to Christ by allowing the peace of Christ to rule. How else does the church remain true? Number two, prioritize thankfulness to Christ, prioritize thankfulness to Christ. At the end of verse 15, Paul urges the church to be thankful. Again, the verb here is plural. He's saying to the church, be thankful. Look at the end of verse 16. Paul urges the church to sing to God with gratitude in their hearts. Look at the end of verse 17. He instructs the Colossians to give thanks to God, the Father through Christ. What we see is this emphasis upon being thankful to God for what He's done for us through Christ. You see, a church that is thankful for what Christ has done is a church that will remain true to Christ. Why? Because where the cross of Christ, Christ is prized. The kinds of petty disputes that separate churches, well, those those become silly. You see, when we recognize all that God did in sending his son and we recognize that the blood of Jesus covers our sin, then the color of the curtains or the carpet make little difference to us. Oh, we might prefer this uh, shade of color over that shade, but we recognize it's little. It's so small. We're grateful for what Jesus has done. And that's what matters. You see, gratefulness for the sacrifice of Christ brings other things into perspective. So how do we live this out? We remember the cross with grateful hearts. We remember the cross with grateful hearts. We we focus on on His sacrifice. We remember the blood that He shed on our behalf. This kind of cross-focused gratitude is going to keep us from being selfish. It's going to keep silly things from separating us. So how would the Colossian church remain true to Christ? First, by allowing the peace of Christ to rule. Second, by being thankful to Christ. And third, by prioritizing the word of Christ. Prioritize the word of Christ. In verse 16, Paul says to the church, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. Now, this is plural. So again, let the word of Christ dwell richly among y'all. By word of Christ, Paul may mean the message about Christ or he may mean The message that Christ preached. But either way, the focus is the same. We want the Word to be our guide. We want the Word to to soak through and to drench our congregation. When the Word soaks the church, the church is transformed. That's what Paul's saying. Have you ever noticed that when you spill a half a glass of milk, that milk can cover the square footage of about a half of a football field? Everything in the vicinity is covered with milk. There's splatters here, splatters there. Obviously, spilling a glass of milk is a bad thing. But brothers and sisters... We want the Word of God to pour out on our hearts and to splatter all over us, to drench us, to cover us, to to, to be shaped by the Word of God, to be transformed by the Word of God. Now, once again, as we think about this passage, it's really important to remember that Paul is writing in an effort to encourage these believers to guard against false teaching. A key to being prepared to face false teachers is this. A key to being prepared to face false teachers is this. It is to know the word. It is to dwell richly in the word. Want to know how you're going to know when you're watching TV or some video online and what's being taught is true or false? Because the false teachers use the same words that we do. They use the same words of the Bible. That's the thing that makes false teaching so difficult to, to, to figure out because they use words like faith and grace and God's love. They use the same words. They redefine them. They give them different meaning than the Bible does, but they use the same words. How can we be prepared to face those false teachers? We know the word. We're a people drenched by the word of God, covered by the word of God. Next, Paul gives three ways that the word should dwell richly among the people. He says, first, teaching. Christians within the church family are to teach one another. Now, notice the one another's in this passage. It's a very important part of this passage to, to see these one another's. This teaching that Paul's talking about is not what a pastor does or an elder does from the pulpit, though Though Paul talks about that in other places. He means this. Every single one of us who know Jesus and who are a part of the church, we have a responsibility to teach one another, to speak into each other's lives, it, we want to help each other learn the truths of the Bible. This happens in the midst of a small group when we're talking. And, uh, what, what do you think this passage says? Oh, well, I understand it to say this. I think the word says that. And we we sharpen one another as we study the word together, not just throwing out our opinions, but actually studying the word together. We we, we help each other. We teach one another. That That's the way it's supposed to work in a church. Next, Paul says that the word is to dwell richly among us. As we admonish one another. What is the word admonish? It's not a word we use a lot. It means to warn. The reality is that every one of us, we sometimes can get off the path, myself included. Maybe maybe in small ways, maybe in big ways. And this is one of the reasons it's so important for people to actually be a part of a church. In our day and time, being a part of a church is really uncool, and it's, it's seen as kind of an accessory. Do I want to wear a necklace today or not? I, I don't know. It's a non-issue. It's not a big deal. I might, I might not. That's how church is viewed. It's not the way church is viewed here. You see, it's really important that we admonish one another, that we warn one another. That means that sometimes, as a pastor, I may, may need somebody to say to me, um, hey, pastor, what you said there probably wasn't the best thing to say. Why do I need that? Because sometimes I get out of line. You, you do too. We're supposed to warn each other to try to keep each other from straying away from the Word of God, to keep each other from straying away from Christ. We really need each other. You ever try to play football with just a quarterback? It, it doesn't work. The church is, is, is like that. We're as frustrating as it can be at times. We really do need each other. It, we teach one another. We, we admonish one another. And Paul says one of the primary ways that we teach and admonish one another, this is interesting, is through Christian songs. And, and he kind of lists a few different types of Christian songs. We, we're not sure all that Paul meant by these songs, but one is pretty, uh, pretty clear, probably. He's, he mentions psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. By psalms, Paul is probably referring to the Old Testament psalms. That those were often uh, sung together in a, in a congregation. By hymns and spiritual songs, obviously there's some diversity here. We, we don't know exactly what he means, but different kinds of songs, songs that the church sang. These were, these were songs that the church had, had penned and put together to, to celebrate and to honor Christ. How do we teach and admonish one another? Well, one of the ways is through our music, through our singing. In this passage, we really do get a glimpse of early church worship. To summarize what we've already said, early church worship makes the word central. Let the word of Christ dwell richly. Includes a variety of of singing and music, different kinds of music, different forms. And three, early church worship included the congregation as a whole, teaching and interacting and, and admonishing one another, not just a pastor, but the congregation together. So the church must teach and admonish. Paul also says if the word is to dwell richly among you, you must sing to God, sing to God. Songs that are sung in church matter because they serve as a means of instruction and correction in our walk with Christ. They serve to root us deep in the truths of the word. So, we want to be careful what we sing. We don't want to sing just any song. We want to make sure the songs that we sing are rooted in the word of God, that they're faithful to the scriptures. There's a lot of music out there that masquerades as Christian, and again, it kind of used Christian words, but Got to be careful. We, we want to make sure that we're being faithful to the word. Now, notice that Paul mentions no dispute here over songs or the style of the songs. He just mentions varieties of songs. He doesn't mention uh, any trouble over styles. I suppose the worship wars hadn't hit the church at Colossae. Um, that, that's all I can figure out. But mark this down. A church that's caught up in the worship wars is a church that is dead in the water. Why? Because the mission of the church is given in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It's the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The great commission reminds us that we are called to reach people for Jesus and to make disciples. And in the church where what's what's the main issue is what kind of music I like, Well, the mission's been diverted. The the mission has been diverted. When it becomes about me, what do I like? What do I want? How can I bully my way? Oh, a church engaged in this kind of selfish civil war need not expect to be effective in God's mission of reaching people. The ship is already sinking. It is sinking of self-inflicted wounds. So how do we handle this variety of, of music. Well, we, we learn to give and take. We, we learn that sometimes it, maybe it'll be music that, that I kind of, hey, I love that. And then at other times, maybe it's not exactly what I like, but then I recognize this is a chance for me to give. This is a chance for me to sacrifice because maybe there's somebody else in, in, in a different uh, age group or in a different category socially or culturally or whatever that, that embraces this. So we don't allow music to tear us up. Want to know what ought to upset you when it comes to music? If we're up here singing songs that are unfaithful to the word, not because it's not the style of music that you like. Folks, we've got to be biblical. We've got to, we've got to let the word shape us, not our own selfishness. Now imagine that you put a rock, a smooth rock underwater, put it underwater, lifted it up out of the water. How much effect would that water have on the rock? It wouldn't be a lot. The outside of the rock would be wet for a little bit, then it would dry. But now imagine for a moment that you took a sponge and you put a sponge under water. What kind of effect is the water going to have on the sponge? It's going to have a, a far-reaching effect. The sponge is going to be filled with water. Every bit of that sponge is going to be affected by the water. And what Paul is saying to us is be the sponge, not the rock when it comes to your church. Be the sponge, not the rock, when it comes to the Word of God and your church. Let the Word guide you. Let the Word shape you. Let the Word transform you. So what does this look like in the life of the church? Well, first, a church should strive to be ordered by God's Word. Strive to be ordered by God's Word. In other words, when we wonder, hey, how should a church operate? We go to the Bible. We ask, does God's Word shed light on this particular issue? Our own opinions, our own traditions, the newest fads, even savvy business insights. None of these are authoritative in the life of the church. What's authoritative in the life of the church? It's the Word of God. It's His Word. First and foremost, we want to be a church that looks like what this book teaches. That's what we want to be. Next, disciple-making. Disciple-making is the primary mission of the church. Disciple-making is the primary mission of the church, and it produces a church centered on the Word of God. As we talked about earlier, Matthew 28, 19 through 20 gives the marching orders to the church. A church may do lots of things, but the task of disciple-making must always, must always be central. We must be committed as a church to reaching people for Jesus and to teaching them the word of God and seeing the word of God shape them. And ultimately, when we make disciples, it doesn't stop there. A true disciple is one who comes to know Jesus, has been taught, and then he or she goes and makes disciples and teaches others. That's what disciple making is. It's exponential. That's the mission of the church. Next, every believer is meant to be a part of the church and participate in the one another's given in Scripture. Every believer is meant to be part of a church, participate in the, the one another's given in Scripture. All throughout the New Testament, Christians are commanded to love one another, care for one another, accept one another, forgive one another, spur one another on in the faith. And there are dozens and dozens of these one another commands in the New Testament. In what context are these one another commands to be carried out? Well, if you look in Colossians... It's in the context of the church. And if you look in at the other one another's, the vast majority of them are given in the context of a church family. The clear expectation of the New Testament is that every person who knows Jesus will be a part of a local church and committed to a, to a church family. So I ask you, are you a member of a Bible-believing church? And if so, do you participate in the life of the church so that these one another's are, are lived out in your life? So how does the Colossian church remain true to Christ? First, prioritize the peace of Christ. Second, prioritize thankfulness to Christ. Third, prioritize the word of Christ. And fourth, prioritize the name of Christ. Prioritize the name of Christ. Verse 17, Paul issues a general, all-encompassing command. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord. So here Paul addresses the totality of of their lives. All that they say and do should be said and done with a desire to give Jesus glory, to honor his name, with a, a desire to uphold the reputation of the Lord Jesus. These Christians must live in a way that makes Jesus's name great. If people see Christian living lives of integrity and lives of love, they'll get a picture of what Jesus is like. On the other hand, If those of us who take the name of Christ live lives that are marked by hypocrisy, live lives that are marked by selfishness, the name of Christ is tarnished. His reputation is harmed. So a church that is true to Christ seeks to tell the truth about who Christ is by how they live. I read the story of a a young college football player who who made the football team as a wide receiver. Uh, The starting split end. He was a Christian, and he desperately wanted to honor the Lord in, in his life. He wanted to be a man of integrity. So as this football season started, his, his time to, to be playing for this university, this is the prayer that, that he prayed. Help me to be absolutely honest. I pray for honesty, that one mark of integrity. I want to be that Lord, and I'll work on it through the season. Now, it was, it was homecoming, an important game for, for this school. This young man was playing, he ran his route, he's speeding to the end zone, and the quarterback threw him a great pass, but the young man got it low. He landed on the ball, the referee didn't see well, and he shouted touchdown. The young man knew that he hadn't actually caught the ball. He had only landed on the ball, though it looked like he had caught it, he had trapped it. The crowds were going wild, cheering, everybody celebrating. And then the young man said, wait a minute. And he approached the referee and he said to the referee, I, I didn't actually catch the ball. I, I trapped the ball, I landed on it. And the referee canceled the touchdown and his team ended up that night losing the game. Now think about this. That young man stood alone, very alone. The vast majority of his teammates were saying to him, what are you doing? Are you crazy? And all of these stands who are cheering are going, Dude, what? Well, what are you thinking about? Oh, the stands were filled with people who desperately wanted to see them win the game. But he stood alone and he said, I can't take the credit. I didn't catch the ball. Now, friends, that's integrity. That's integrity. That's what it means to prioritize the name of Christ, to live in such a way that your life is congruent with the name you take. It matches the name you take. How do we live that kind of life? How do we prioritize the name of Christ? Well, we seek to live a life of integrity, to be a person of character. We do the right thing, even when it costs us. We refuse to take the easy way out. We strive to be a person of honesty, to be a people of our word. When your life is marked with genuine character, people will see Jesus. And a church with, filled with, with these kind of folks is going to shine brightly, brightly for the Lord Jesus out in the community. Next, let the driving force of your life be bringing glory to Jesus Christ. Let the driving force of your life be bringing glory to him. In all that you do, in all that you say, in your attitudes, in the decisions that you make, live in a way that shows people who Jesus is don't section off and say, I'm going to have my church life, I'm going to have my Christian life, and then I'm going to have my business life, then I'm going to have my life at school, then I'm going to have my life with friends. Don't do any of that. Then I am have my life with my family. No, say, you know what? I'm going to be the kind of husband that Jesus wants me to be. I'm going to be the kind of wife that Jesus wants me to be. I'm going to be the kind of parent, I'm going to strive to be the kind of employer that Jesus would want me. I'm going to strive to be the kind of employee that Jesus would want me to be. What Jesus calls me to be, I want to be that in every single aspect of my life. I want, like that football player, to be willing to stand alone and to say, Jesus, I will follow you. I'll be a man of integrity. I'll be a woman of integrity. No matter what. We want to give him glory in all that we do. Paul urges us to prioritize the name of Jesus. How might God use this church here in Uvalde? Could our church be used to to bless this community? What if those of us who, who maybe were kind of staying on the margins, maybe, maybe not really jumping in, what, what if we all jumped in and said, hey, we're not going to be satisfied with the status quo. We want to see God move in this church in a powerful way. We want to see this church bless this community. Imagine what could happen. What if dozens of people came to know Jesus because we all got serious about living a life of integrity and telling others about Jesus? What if dozens of people came to know Christ? We, we want to have an impact in our schools, but imagine what impact we would have if daddies came to know Jesus and they were, they were loving their wives and loving their kids and discipling their families. Imagine the kind of impact that would have in the school if, if this were true of dozens and dozens of people. Imagine what could happen if we got serious about about the Lord moving here and we recognized that we couldn't do it in our own strength and we got so desperate for God to move that we got on our knees and we began to plead with him. God, would you move here? Would you wake us up? Would you give us a passion for you? Would you help us to get out of our our lukewarmness? Would you help us to, to get moving? If we cried out to God like that, what might he do? How could this church be a blessing in this community? How could it make an impact in the world? What if, what if retired members of First Baptist Church began to say, you know what, I, I'm going to go on mission. We're, we're going to go for, for, for short-term mission trips. And what if FPC was sending out short-term volunteers all over the world? folks going to, to help missionaries and, and to, to tell the name of Jesus around. Think of, think of the ways God could use us. There are countless ways that God could use us if we would get serious about calling out to God and of being the, a true church, a church that, that truly strives to honor Christ. Yes, we are called to be a church that remains true to the Lord Jesus This means that we'll prioritize the peace of Christ, that we'll prioritize thankfulness to Christ, that we'll prioritize the word of Christ, that we'll prioritize the name of Christ. I want to speak to those of you who are Christians, but who have looked at the church as more of an accessory than a necessity, have looked at the church as something that you can kind of take or leave, rather than as a core part of of what God has called you to. If you're in that category, I want to plead with you. You don't have to listen to me. I have no authority. But please, please don't ignore what the book says. You cannot read the New Testament. You cannot read the New Testament honestly and not recognize that God wants you, calls you, expects you to be a part of a church family where you're living out the one another's. For some of you, that means that you need to join a, a Bible-believing church. This this may not be the, the church for you. I, I'm not trying to, to push you in a manipulative way. But if you're here and you believe the Word, I can tell you God wants you to be a part of a, a, of a Bible-believing church. Maybe this one may be another. Maybe that's the step that, that you need to take. Others of you who are believers and you're members of the church, but the truth is the, You're not pouring your life into ministering to others and to being shaped by others. The one and others, well, that's something that hardly ever happens in your life. And maybe the step that you need to take is to get in get in a Sunday school class where you can get to know people. Instead of just kind of coming in and out, you know, hey, how are you? Walking away, but actually interacting and and building relationships. For some of you, the next step is saying, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice some of my time and I'm going to serve. Oh, I'd like to retire. I served my time when my kids were younger. But I know that's not what I need to do. And I know that's not what God wants me to do. Or our family's so busy, we're in this and we're in that and we're in this and we're in that. There's no way I could do anything at the church. Well, maybe you've prioritized the wrong things. Could that be the case? This morning, I don't want to guilt you into anything. Anything. I just want to plead with you to look at the word and to ask the Lord to speak to your heart. I want you to say to the Lord, Do business in my heart. If something in me needs to change, God, make it clear. Oh, imagine what could be. Imagine what God could do. Let's pray.